I've had patients actually ask me this question. I heard you do comedy. I heard you do theater. How do you find the time for this when you're a serious doctor? So I ask them when you're done for the day in your corporate career, whatever else that you do, what do you do in the evening? So he says, I go back and I watch a little TV and I'm like, okay, you're watching that man yell on TV and not allow any of his panelists speak. So uh, you're doing that. And if I do that, I think my BP will go up. So I have another option where my BP stays steady and I go out for a theatre rehearsal or a play uh, rehearsal or we do improv. Most of it is post 7.38 in the evening. So when other people are watching, you know, the Sasbahu serials or maybe uh, surfing the net and checking what, uh, you know, the the latest YouTube celebrity has done or who shouted galis at, at the whole world. Uh, while you're doing that, I've chosen to do something. So it's, it's also, a, you know, a way I spend my time. So I don't see the dichotomy. I don't see the conflict over there that, you know, if you're a serious doctor, you can't be doing this. <laughs> Anil is one of the most fun and genuine people I've had on the show. He's a doctor by profession, a dermatologist, who is also a teacher and a professor, a stand-up comedian too, and also an actor who has starred in various plays as part of the theatre fraternity, commercials, and also some of the big movies alongside big names like Parvati and Tovino Thomas as part of the Malayalam film industry. We talk about the learnings from stand-up, like yes-anding, how one should strive to be fulfilled by whatever you do in life, and how it's so important for you to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, we also talk about how every single person on earth at some point in their lives uh, have had some kind of fear when it comes to hair loss. Take it from the expert dermatologist. So yeah, once again, you're not alone. We all think and freak out about the same thing. So relax and take a chill pill. Before we get into the episode though, I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in to the episodes on a regular basis and uh, sharing us with the good feedback and constant support. We have this group of listeners who consume our content as soon as it drops. You know who you guys are. I wanted to talk about an incident that happened with last week's episode that uh, underscores this whole thing. So there was a small mishap from my side where I forgot to completely schedule the episode uh, that dropped last Wednesday. So I think I had set up everything from the title, the description, to the cover art and all the details that goes behind you know, any of these episodes. But I forgot to hit the schedule button. Can you believe it? So I think normally our episodes drop at about 7am in the morning. So that way, if you are on your you know regular workouts or if you're going for your morning walk or your commute, the episode drops at the right time for you to consume it and you know listen to it or uh, you know you can passively learn from. But what happened with last week's episode though was uh, at about 10 or 11am when I did check my Instagram, I noticed that I had about six, seven people ping me, uh, asking me if the episode was not going to be dropped uh, today. And I was a little shocked and surprised because the episode is supposed to have gone up at least four hours ago. So that's when I took a look at my um, scheduling or my podcast hosting software and I realized that I'd forgotten to hit the schedule button. Well, that was quite silly of me, no denying that. But uh, what I want to really highlight here is that I really had no idea that people were waiting for the episode to drop. And especially as soon as it dropped, um, I've seen a little bit of a, let's say, spike with the consumption and listening. But uh, I, I actually got to feel it or experience it firsthand this time. So, yeah, like I said, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, consuming it as soon as it's out. You guys have been pivotal in ensuring that, um, you know, you keep me on my toes. And, uh, you know, that's exactly why I put in all the hard work and uh, ensure that this these are episodes that 
is something that you look forward to every week. So that concludes today's episode of Akash Rants. <laughs> so let's get right into the episode. Without further ado, this is episode 25 with Anil Abraham. I have to tell you an expletive story. Okay. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Theater story. Yeah. So one of the first plays I did with this was with this uh, very maverick uh, theater director called Preetam Kolpile, mm -hmm. who's famous, and um, he did it. I wanted very badly to work with him. Okay. So I was willing to go to. Um, this sounds like a casting couch story, but it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, uh, he said, I don't think this, you know, play is your kind. So I said, no, no, I, I want to work with it, with you. So I'll do this play. So there was this uh, line in the play when it came to the F word. Uh, and I would drop volume and pitch over there because I, I'm not comfortable saying any uh, anything like that. So whenever it came, I would totally lose character and then the character would become this shy schoolboy <laughs> instead of whatever I was supposed to be playing with this aggressive man who's lost his temper. Right. So Preetam decided he had to cure this disease and took me to Brigade Road and made me stand in the middle of the road and shout the word out at every passing person. Wow. <laughs> After that, nothing is beyond me. I realize that in theater, you're the character and you just have to play the blessed character you've been given to play right. and stop bringing Anil Abraham into the role that you're doing. Right. So right. That, that was a very effective lesson. You think you need to put on one of those, on one of those hats here? <laughs> no, but, but uh, the na you're interviewing me. Yeah. So you're not interviewing a theater character. But you could change into one of those characters though. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the worst thing I've called a student when I've got really angry with this you're, you're such a piglet. And then instead of getting upset, they start laughing because they find it <laughs> hilarious that this serious looking senior professor is calling them a piglet. That's about as bad as I get in the words that I use. So imagine me on Delhi roads rolling my window down and saying, you piglet. <laughs> but it depends. Nowadays in India, you have to be careful who you're calling. A piglet could be a really bad yeah, insult. Yeah. <laughs> Chota sewer. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, so... I think we've like we just gotten started anyway. So mm -hmm. um, let's actually for people who don't know you, mm -hmm. uh, what's the simplest and easiest way you describe yourself? Mm, a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> one or two, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully, by the end of my life, it's not even true. But uh, come on, yeah. <laughs> one or two, you must reach um, mastery level. Right. But otherwise, I would like to dabble in many things, and it hasn't been that way. So for a large part of my life, I was straight jacketed. I was told to stay strictly in the box. So I've broken the box and I'm running around wild in all directions right now. So yeah. the, I, I realized, uh, I mean, these are all cliches. The problem with life nowadays or having any conversation like this is that almost everything that needs to be said has been said by somebody wise. So you get these quotes. So when I say you have only one life to live and I have to do everything in this one life, I'm thinking I've read this somewhere. This has been in a book. Somebody has said this already. So yes, I acknowledge the fact that everything that everyone wants to say has been said already. 
But uh, cliches aside, I think I realized somewhere halfway down the journey that you have only one life to live and I have to do it in this life. There's no parallel life yeah. or a second one. I don't know. I'm not going into Hindu mythology <laughs> here. But as far as I'm concerned, this one life and I have to do all the hats, as you said, I have to put on all the hats that I have to put on right now. Right. Sure. Uh, so you come from and you say straight jacket, you come mm. from, uh, you know, having spent so many years in the field of medicine, mm. right? Uh you're probably the first and I don't dare I say the only person I know or only persons like our <laughs> viewers might know who is also doing stand up and theater and also, you know, being on the silver screen along with you, you know, practicing medicine full time yes. as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What has your journey been like with medicine and where did you decide that you need to, you know, balance it out by, like you said, letting loose and running around without a straight jacket on? <laughs> This is not something that happened suddenly like a midlife crisis, which is also happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not denying that. But from when I was a kid, I've been uh, very interested in theater. I've been writing. In fact, I used to write middles and stories for the Deccan Herald when I was in school still. Okay. So those are things that I enjoyed doing. But uh, like a typical South Indian home, I was uh, told where my limits are. And like, uh, like, like I tell everyone, it was like, uh, Money, 10 standard, you just study 10 standard and you do well in this exam. Eh? Eh? After that, eh? everything after that. And then it was after 12th standard, it was after entrance exam and after medicine, they told me you just get your PG seat and then after that. In between this, uh, checked out whether I wanted to do IAS or something else, which was socially acceptable, but not anything else. So then uh, I did all those things and then I found that I was uh, rapidly hurtling towards middle age and I hadn't done any of the things that I wanted to do. So I took charge of my life and said, um, finally, finally, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm going to be doing this, what, what, uh, you know, life intended me to do and also doing all the things that um, uh, society accepts as what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Mm. But how did you um, uncover the talent for maybe stand-up or theatre. I think you've been doing theatre for quite a while as well, right? Mm, mm. Um, but w when did you decide um, at what point that, okay, theatre is where I need to also spend a couple of my hours a day or a week or whatever? Because I think what we've spoken about on the show earlier too is uh, how when you're young, you are exposed to so many things. Either your parents send you out for all these mm. classes or you get to, you know, just be part of a very different, mm. uh, I think our uh, the community here in Bangalore is very, very different from the other cities, right? Mm. So you get exposed to so many things. And then by the end of, let's say, your school or high school, for that matter, you're just like, wow, I've tried all these things, but I still don't know which one I should pick. Mm. But then how did you finally decide, okay, so I need to make a profession in maybe around medicine, but at the same time, maybe move into theater? So uh, I, I think I knew there was this huge passion or interest in theater from school. Okay. And when people say they started theatre in school, it's usually they're standing as the tree in the background in the fairy tale or something. No, we were doing, yeah, we were doing good theatre in, in St. Joseph's. And there were a couple of priests and English teachers who, who were seriously, uh, you know, theatre oriented. So we had uh, a principal called, whom we call Cop, uh, who was Father Hedwig de Costa, who's just his recitation of Shakespeare in class. And he would make us do different roles in school. We would make us, uh, you know, very passionate about theatre. So I must give credit to them 
and to an organization called Bangalore Little Theatre, which uh, didn't uh, treat you like a child. Mm -hmm. So if you were into a production and were taking part in a play, you were given the due respect that every other performer was giving. Now, at the end of a day where you've studied or you've played a game or done something related to school or what the world wants you to do, I would feel tired and I would go to sleep. But at the end of the day, when I was doing theatre, I would feel tired, but I was also feeling hugely fulfilled. I was, it was a satisfied tiredness. And somewhere early on, I, I could make out the difference between the two types of tired. And uh, the second tired was definitely something that I wanted. You know, you've had a good day. Yeah. You've done lots of work. You've done something that you really enjoy. And I was tired and fulfilled and slept well. Right. So that, that was the kind of life I wanted. And then, like you said, challenges. Once theatre became comfortable, that means, you know, I had no problem learning a script or doing what my director, I'm a director's actor. So doing what my director wanted me to do, that wasn't a problem. So when that ceased to be a challenge, I think I kept trying to create new challenges for myself. And improv comedy presented itself, the group with uh, Saad Khan and Darai Sunawala and uh, Danish and things like that. And to look up to people like that who were already in the field and performing well, and when they gave me a chance to perform with them and to learn the craft or the skill with them, it was fun to do that. And we were a, a group of newcomers, so we mm. were not being judged at the same level, but we were getting to perform with them, which was great. So improv, uh, I, th I don't think improv will ever cease to be a challenge because every performance of improv <laughs> is totally unpredictable. And, and it's that's great what the fun. word yeah, says, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, some of the beautiful things that I like about improv, one of the principles of improv, which works, I think, very well in real life is a principle called yes anding. That means uh, the partner, the whoever you're working with, the teammate at that particular moment might give you a ridiculous, uh, you know, premise. He might come on as a man from the moon, but you have to say yes to what he has just created and you have to add something to it. Correct. I think that's a beautiful principle even for whatever you're doing, whether it's medicine, dealing with a patient. Uh, you have a patient sometimes come in and uh, if I'm taking the situation of hair loss or, or of skin and they I mean, say... I think you should tell people that you're a uh, yeah, doctor I'm and a dermatologist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, if I mean, Why did you pick that out of everything? Are you like <laughs> picking on my insecurities? It's a here? universal <laughs> problem. I've not come across a single human being who at some time has not uh, experienced pain inducing hair loss. Even if you have wonderful hair on your head, at some stage you've uh, gone, or at least looked in the mirror and thought to yourself, am I? Am I becoming my father? Am I losing all my hair? So that thought is there. So when a patient comes in, where was I? Uh, yes, and yes. Yeah. So when they come in and say, doc, I'm losing hair. And I think it's because I shifted to Koramangla. <laughs> So the connection, you know, you have to yes and. Yeah. You have to go with, uh, yes, you're losing hair. And it's possible that, you know, the water in Koramangla may be difficult. Or the commute to Koramangla <laughs> on Hosu yeah. Road may be causing you stress. So you take the situation that he's created yeah. and you add something to it. And then you say, but let's do a few tests to see if you're deficient in anything. So you've taken the situation one step further. You can change the direction. So I love the yes anding principle of improv. The other other one that I really enjoy in improv is a principle which is called there is no there are no mistakes there is no failure and so if you stumble make it part of the dance I, I really enjoy this because I don't think again through the uh, number of episodes that you've had and the wonderful people you've spoken to I don't think anyone's come and sat my life uh, and sat and told you my life has been perfect yeah. every single that I uh, thing that I planned happened according to my plan and it went perfectly on course it doesn't happen. For all, all people out there who think that the uh, people you're interviewing who seem 
you know right now their life seems uh, perfect. fairly okay yeah. perfect successful it didn't we've we've stumbled and fallen several times but and the we'll continue to do so as well yes, right yes 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 yeah, and yeah. Uh, the nice part of improv it says if you stumble pretend it's a step that prabhudeva just taught you <laughs> and make it look like a new type of dance that not, you just learned no, not like you've learned it off his video he's taught you yeah yeah this is like a, this we meant to do this i was supposed to fall at this point and get up very clumsily because it was add, meant to add a little humor to the whole situation wow, so yeah <laughs> So there are no mistakes. If right. you made mistakes, you, it's okay. It was part of the story, and I wrote it in there to make you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, wh- when did you realize that something like theater, which is a scripted hmm. um, thing, right? I mean, at the end, like you said, you're a director's actor, so hmm. you have someone who's guiding you, or at least telling you this is what the end outcome should look like, hmm. as opposed to improv, hmm. where you're the yes. you know master of yourself, and you just. Mm. get get on there and you basically do what you you're meant to do and then also what the group or the team along with you is doing right how did you move away from this or rather you started doing both together mm-hmm. as well right how did you find that uh, um if you listen to interviews from people like um, um people who successful actors and have been in theater i'm talking about movie actors right right uh, like say mr naziruddin shah and people like that they'll always tell you that theater is their first love it's something that they'll go back to whenever they get a chance right. so i must stress that theater is my first love i really enjoy uh, doing theater and the fact that somebody uh, far more knowledgeable than me has scripted something with a clear idea of a beginning a middle and an end and and wants to go from some place and convey some message to an audience and i am just an instrument or an implement in that uh is is very satisfying because i'm being used and i'm allowing myself to be used to convey a message so i right. enjoy that right. completely whether it's a message that shakespeare wrote years ago right. and is being reinterpreted or it's a classic like the mahabharata and you're telling it in your own way from draupadi's viewpoint or from the telling the ramayana from from the viewpoint of ravan mm-hmm. which is a viewpoint which Correct. we should look at what the uh, seeming villain mm-hmm. uh, was thinking at that particular time and did he have any justification for what he was doing so i enjoy that process and theater is is very very fulfilling improv is fulfilling because it's a huge challenge and there is no uh, super performer in improv today could be your day and then tomorrow you'll find that all the things that you said and created and thought were very nice yesterday are just not working because you're with another teammate you're with another audience the audience is just very resistant to the jokes they come from koramanga yes 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 <laughs> uh being a little older in the improv group i often find myself when we are performing at pubs and things like that is that i have to reinvent myself because we are catering to a completely younger audience and uh, several of my other improv uh, you know teammates will be like say karan machado who's like uh, hugely talented and knows how to talk to an audience like that right. or somebody like danish who knows how to talk to any audience yeah and then suddenly uh, one day we'll be called to perform to a senior corporate audience or in a retirement home to older people and suddenly no one's <laughs> laughing at their jokes and everyone's very like anil is very funny anil is doing well i can understand what he's saying so when i say i've reached the age when you know i finally managed to put my mind together and my body started to fall apart or i make fun of tinder and how we never had tinder and the only way we had to hook up with a girl was an app called arranged marriage and then <laughs> the elderly people in the room are like this 
man is really funny and i've had my day like you know it depends on the nature of the audience you're dealing with the response that you get is totally different i have one advantage is because i have teenage sons right so now they give me a perspective so sometimes when they're watching me i will know from their faces how i can adjust my humor and my material to cater to a much younger audience because uh, the audience at home which includes my wife and my two kids are the most critical audience that i've ever had and any time i feel that you know i'm really doing well i have done something well <laughs> get them to they, sit down and they will ground me and bring me down to earth very definitely because it's like appa please don't start another one of those please <laughs> and uh, i know there there's some secret uh, thing of he's a funny man and he's doing comedy because i had uh, the situation where anirudh had called his friends for a sleepover and they were on the first floor and i had to pass uh, as i was climbing the stairs through that and so i uh, hesitated for a moment and said hi i hope you all are having a good time and all in that very fatherly manner and one of the friends said uncle can you do some comedy <laughs> so they watched some youtube videos or something and thought there's this this funny man at home who's supposed to perform on demand like you know if you say do some comedy it's a netflix you jokes yeah <laughs> so that impression is what people most people have of stand up comics and improv that any given situation in life whether it's a funeral or whatever <laughs> you are going to suddenly come up with funny stuff well so so do you actually uh, try or uh, sit your family down and do the first round Uh, with them it's very scary to do that yeah but uh, do you do it? it's going to bomb like that <laughs> most of the material is is family created right. for one they'll start censoring me and adi will be like please don't do that please don't mention my life you can't say that about me so that if i go through that then i'm in trouble but usually they get to see the first run of it as in they will be watching as i'm performing or they would be watching a recording of it and before it actually goes out into the big world uh they would have seen and commented on it at home so they my worst trolls <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh i i think you also spoke about when we spoke on a call mm. i think we spoke about how you know other people too within your own you know medicine fraternity who are also pursuing theater and other arts as well right yes, yes. so <clears throat> again is that I, i don't know because obviously i've never been uh i've never worked in medicine or you know studied medicine as such but you see a lot of that you know f- folks there who want to pursue something else either as a full time gig once they're done with their uh, let's say mm-hmm. their course because the moment you're c- committing to let's say your mbbs it just doesn't end there right you need to specialize you need to you know it's like a couple of years at, mm-hmm. at least a good decade of your life that goes into just getting certified for you to practice mm-hmm. right uh, but i'm sure that with the number of people that do sign up uh like i think we spoke earlier mm. people sign up for engin- engineering and then most of them don't end up doing that right. or they're just you know miserable with what they're doing i'm sure that with doctors as well there are a lot of people who want to try other things too and i know cert- a couple of them who have hobbies and you know they have their passions mm. and they you know they're doing things on the side but do you see people who are doing this like the way you are who kind of really uh, dedicate a good percent of their you know weekly time into arts or you know let's say mm. for in this matter theater or arts itself uh, i think there's a lot of people out there who would like to yeah. and then hesitate to take that uh, step out of their comfort zone because they think that you know society has built Wrong this box life. for me yeah. and uh, you're not taken seriously i 
think I spoke to you about my neighborhood uncle. Yeah, we need to definitely <laughs> talk about him. Uh, who uh, doesn't approve of me doing <laughs> all these other things and will let me know. Even if I've written a humorous article in a newspaper, he will say, I, I, I saw your article in the newspaper and it does not say Dr. Anil Abraham. You should put doctor. So everybody will know <laughs> that you're a doctor, which I don't see the reason for. Or if I'm dressed slightly differently in some YouTube video that he's seen. Okay, I've done a, I've done a YouTube character called Pushpalata Guy where I'm in drag. Okay, yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm I'm playing a air hostess who's making political uh, satire based on what she's announcing. I've seen the, that, yeah. yeah, so then he would not like something like that at all. <laughs> and one day, I think he indirectly <laughs> insinuated to me that you know, I'm glad your parents are not here anymore to see this kind of. <laughs> nonsense that you do they educated you very well and now you are doing things like this <laughs> so um, my neighbor uncle does not approve at all of my forays into other fields uh, but I think there is a large proportion of people who have other interests and like you say some of them manage a good balance they right. they would keep it as a hobby I know of several doctors St. John's kind of encourages St. John's is a medical school which encourages that kind of thing we always have theater and music and stuff like that going on. So I know several doctors who are excellent musicians, singers, and they manage their primary career and this at the same time. Uh, there are some others who've gone like, I think you've heard of a senior um, Hindi actor called Dr. Sriram Lagu, who mm -hmm. came away completely and, you know, concentrated on acting. So some people manage balance, some people come away into the second field that is actually their passion. And uh, when you say, I've, I've had patients actually ask me this question. Sometimes they come in and say, uh, I heard you do comedy. I heard you do theater. How do you find the time for this when you're a serious doctor? So that is one question I get. Serious doctor? Yeah, yeah. The, the, they, they're really worried whether, you know, I'm concentrating on my medicine or, or you know, keeping up with the times and things <laughs> like that. Right. So I ask them, when you're done for the day in your corporate career, whatever else that you do, what do you do in the evening? So he says, I go back and I watch a little TV and I'm like, okay, you're watching that man yell on TV and not allow any of his panelists speak. Uh, <laughs> no it's names. I have not yeah. taken any names. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, you're doing that. And if I do that, I think my BP will go up. So I have another option where my BP stays steady. And I go out for a theater rehearsal or a play uh, rehearsal or we do improv. Most of it is post 7.38 in the evening. So when other people are watching, you know, the Sasbahu serials or maybe uh, surfing the net and checking what, uh, you know, the the latest YouTube celebrity has done or who shouted galis at, at the whole world. Uh, while you're doing that, I've chosen to do something. So it's it's also, a, you know, a way I spend my time. So I don't see the... Uh, I don't see the dichotomy. I don't see the conflict over there that, you know, if you're a serious doctor, you can't be doing this. <laughs> so I'm very serious about my medicine. I'm very serious about my keeping up with what is going on in the field of medicine, being up to date and being able to do good treatment for my patients. But I also think that um, the second question I get asked sometimes by press journalists when they're interviewing me before a play or before a performance is like, you're a doctor, you're teaching in a medical college and you're also doing this theater or comedy how how do these why three things get connected <laughs> yeah how do they get connected what is the connection it seems like three different roads like you have to you've reached a crossroad and you have to take left right or center you have to make up your mind you can't be doing all it somehow you know creates it's like, it's like jealous <laughs> yeah what are you doing all three this how is just you? not allowed so i tell them the common thread i think is effective communication you cannot be a good teacher without being some 
you know, bringing some part of showbiz into it. I don't think students nowadays are forgiving of teachers who just drone on for an hour and supposedly tell you physics or chemistry or biology without adding some element of excitement to, into it. So uh, the famous one that my students keep quoting years after I've stopped teaching them and they come back as, you know, revered professors in Harvard and Oxford and somewhere. So they'll come back and say, remember the time you taught us about STDs? And um, it's a Christian college, so you're not allowed to say certain things. So I would, <laughs> I would end the lecture by telling them, uh, you know, if you like to play in the rain, you should remember to wear a raincoat. And th there would be a moment of silence where they're not sure in a Catholic college where this man has actually said this. And then I say, uh, you can opt not to play in the rain. That is an option. Because <laughs> I need to play. Yes, in the because rain. I know there are nuns in the classroom. <laughs> and so all this playing in the rain is going to get referred somewhere. Father, what is Anil talking about? No, no, I'm just telling you, you can get pneumonia if you play in the rain. So wear a raincoat. If you like playing in the rain, go ahead and do that. But you know, um, option sister is to not play in the rain. <laughs> But uh, remember the raincoat, it's important. And then years later, they'll come back and tell me, your raincoat story is so stuck in my head that I use it several times when I'm gently telling somebody else the same message. So, uh, you know, showbiz, comedy, something that comes into teaching. You can't be an effective teacher without being entertaining nowadays. And the same uh, when you're a doctor, I think the patients like their doctors who talk. It's mm. not about, you know, take a capsule three times a day and apply this ointment and come back or this injection. There's a lot more you have to talk about lifestyle. You have to kind of make it funny. Uh, coming back to the example of hair loss, when, whenever, uh, a, a, you know, a housewife comes in with her husband and says, you know, doctor, I, I'm really panicking. I think I'm losing hair. And then uh, the husband, of course, who's been parking the car, you know how parking is difficult in Bangalore, has just walked in two minutes later. I'll make him sit down and say, she said she's losing her hair and you're the cause. And the man looks like, oh God, my wife, <laughs> has she been doing this kind of thing? And so she that told you. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's like an icebreaker. You immediately are able to establish a rapport. So comedy helps in your unexpected places to kind of, okay, now, now we've established the fact that you've got hair loss and he's not the cause. Yes, so. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what other causes could we be thinking of? Could you be having a thyroid problem and so on? So um, communication, whether it's as a doctor, as a teacher, as a performer, I think is the key. And uh, a lot of the people you've spoken to in whatever field they are successful at, I think the key is effective communication. So if that is a skill that you wish to develop, all these theater, improv, comedy, stand up, all of them are good things to take up right. as a challenge and, and work into your lifestyle. Absolutely. Uh so I'll tell you one big reason I started the show yes. is to do that too, which mm. is to, I think I can sit down and have a conversation with anyone, right? It's, I've reached that point where I can really open up to mm. just, let's say a stranger that you meet, because even with all, with, you know, just a group of friends and, you know, the circle acquaintances, all mm. of that, it's easy. But having to, like you said, where people are watching you and you speaking in a way uh, with the right sort of enunciation, with mm. the, you know, you ensuring that you can get your points across. And I think we were talking about mm. how people might know a lot of things. Knowledge is great and vast, but they just can't put it into words. And right? they're wonderful people. I have great respect for the work that they're doing. But sometimes they're not getting the the position due to them because they're not able to express themselves. Right. And when, when a teacher tells you, you know, get up there. And I'm grateful to the teachers who made us do you know, recitation and come out there and pretend to be characters when they were reading a play because it got you over that horrendous thing, which is stage fright. If you right. can get over the situation that uh, or not worry too much about being judged. Mm. 
Right. Um, so, you know, get out there and do your thing without thinking, am I looking good? And is this, you know, sounding nice? Is it sounding correct? If you can do that without too much of filter, then I think it's a wonderful place you've reached. Absolutely. I think stage fright and all that's very inherent, right? Like mm. stage fright, fear of heights, I think things that you're pretty much born with because we're social beings. So the fact that you need to be accepted when yes. you put yourself out there mm. is, is it, it's like a second nature to you, right? In uh, fact, the fright never goes away. I was telling you, I think about uh, the new challenge, the stepping out of comfort zone. And uh, for example, stand-up comedy is relatively new for me. So just before, uh, you know, the previous stand-up is finishing and they're announcing my name, there is this immense churning in my stomach. But I don't know if it's a bad thing. I think it's good because that adrenaline rush puts you because out like there and like, yeah. yourself and let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get in there. And what's the worst that can happen? And the uh, worst that can happen is you can stumble and fail. And like we said, improv said, Chalega. Yeah, Deva. Pick up the pieces and go on in life. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I That's the thing, right? So I, I think with this show too, mm. what I've tried to do is, at least I'm thinking if I don't make it anywhere with the show, mm. at least I've sat down with so many guests. I've got to meet them, mm. have a conversation, network yes. in the most selfish way possible. At mm. least got that out of the way. Yes. Uh, I mean, out of this whole thing. As opposed to thinking of, oh my God, did my show make it or not? Mm. That's a, It's a very weird way to think about. But also because I was doing my corporate job pri prior to this, right? Uh, where I didn't really get exposed to anyone for that matter outside your team. Yes. You just get to interact with your client members. You just get to interact with your team members and that's that. And then you go back home and then I do what the other person told you, which is probably watch something on TV and just go to bed. So right now, I, I, I was thinking of, okay, what are the best ways for me to... Uh, Maybe be a little more social. Mm. How do I connect with people? It's very true what you're saying because I remember the time when I'm not doing theater, not doing stand-up and there's these conferences we have, medical conferences and we'll stand together and it's usually a whole lot of male doctors standing together and then they'll say, how, how's, how's clinic going and how much you're making and what are you doing for the tax and what are the mutual fund investments, what wow. car have you bought? There is a standard set of eight conversation topics and I'm not a, uh, how do I put this politely? I'm not a man-man in that sense that I, I I don't fit into that box either. So after some time, I'm like, okay, I can't stand this conversation anymore because I've done this 442 times and I need to move to the wives section or the lady doctor section where there's more interesting conversation happening about music and something Everything else. Is, yeah. So uh, the conversations start to get stilted. So I I need to have a variation in that. And the interesting part of doing improv or stand-up comedy is other, unlike the deferential treatment I get as a doctor, as a teacher, where yeah. it's like, sir, how are you doing, sir? Okay. He's come for coffee even if I've entered a canteen. It's like, okay, sir. All right. So that is happening. And then I suddenly go into this improv group where everybody is like, what, macha? How are you doing, da? And I'll be like, yes, I am also a da still. So that feels uh, really good to be yeah. treated completely disrespectfully. And uh, as in there, there's nobody who is like standing up for you and providing for you and all that you're like just one of the guys and like Acha, you're going to get a beer get me one too yeah, kind of thing is happening yeah. so that is very very enjoyable plus i'm dealing with uh, people from different when you're doing stand-up there's there's somebody who's done law there's an engineer there's there's somebody obviously there's an engineer yeah 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 <laughs> there's uh, someone who's just smoking up all day and doing nothing else which is also an interesting part of life one of my improv group guys i don't know if he's going to get into trouble because of this <laughs> no names who's like come home for an improv rehearsal and then says one minute macha and steps out and then comes back with something. I'm looking at him like, where did you find this? 
at the corner of your road, no, that guy who's selling tender coconut, he is also doing this. I'm like, I've lived here for 30 years. I never knew. I never knew that guy is doing this. It's that eye, right? It's, he's going looking for they this. No, I think they know where to get their uh, stuff. Uh, so there, there's different kinds of people and uh, the irreverence of the whole thing is very enjoyable. Right, the fact that right. nobody is being reverent and different. Right. So that's, right. that's fun. I mean, uh, do you think that's one of the big reasons why you have taken this up? Or is this just because... Is this is where you thrive? I mean, are you looking at diversity in in terms of being exposed that way, or do you think it's no? I think it's one of the uh, side effects or side benefits right. is that you get to meet a, a wonderful collection of different people from different uh, phases of life, and sometimes really this age factor is very stupid. And the the you know that is that the way you talk to an older person and all that kind of thing, which has come the sanskar, which is good. We yeah. maintain some sanskar. Yeah, respect but, uh, is yeah, one yeah, thing, right? But the uh, just because he's older, he knows everything. I've been in groups where I've been with much younger people. And sometimes we've been in a conflict situation. We've disagreed about something as a team. And the kind of perspective that a much younger person has given me or has sorted me out when I'm totally losing it and getting bugged about something, you tend to go into that whiny, complaining yeah. Yeah. kind of thing. And he's like, not really. There's lots of good, no? In this, there's uh, see, uh, you're getting all these things, and then there's one negative. He's also like that. So don't you think we can? And I'm thinking this chap is just 24 years old. Where's his perspective so come much from? More mature than I've ever been. So it grounds you. It puts you. It puts you in your in your place. And you need. Uh, you learn to understand that just being older doesn't mean you're wiser. There are lots of very young, wise people out there. Yeah. And I enjoy the fact that I'm learning from them. The same thing has happened with students. There have been so many situations where, uh, you know, a medical student has put things in perspective for me. The maturity in organizing something when they have their cull face or their ability to put things together or to tolerate me when I'm, I'm a bit... Um, I'm a bit <laughs> controlling <laughs> as in I need to have everything done perfectly and done in order because that's the way I've brought myself up. Right. So then if, when everything is not going in that perfect order that I've planned, sometimes I uh, totally lose it. So people have seen that side of me that, you know, oh God, this man is going to go crazy again. So uh, I've had students who've looked at me with amusement <laughs> as in, okay, he's going through one of those things and we'll do He's doing that it. again. <laughs> yeah. He's but essentially, he's a nice man. So we will allow him his little wild uh, five minutes and then he'll come back to normal. So they know I'm going to come back to normal and I'm a useful member of the team at the end of the day. So they're willing to tolerate that. And that's taught me a lesson that occasionally you need to be a little less judgmental and a little less perfect is okay. Right. Sometimes right. it's fun when it's not perfect. Right, right. I think uh, what we didn't really, uh, maybe we didn't explicitly call it out, but mm. you have also taught Mm -hmm. at uh, St. John's, right? I've uh, taught and enjoyed teaching. I think that's one of the most enjoyable parts of my life is being able to uh, teach students right. um, in two ways. One, it, uh, maintains, uh, it maintains you as being young because you're in touch with a much younger generation for a long period of time. Uh, I, I think it's there genetically. So I completely enjoy conveying a complicated message in a very, very simple way. So I feel you need to read a lot digest and understand something before you teach somebody else. 
So right. whether it's my own children uh, telling them, you know, what what they need to know right now, and not in terms of life lessons, but generally if they're studying physics, chemistry, or biology, and it needs explanation, I enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. History, geography, whatever, and um, uh, and the students I taught in medical college. I think the rapport that I built with my students, they they have to say that to me. But uh, otherwise, the messages I get many years later is like I think that is a place where I've made a difference, and I. I'm proud of the fact that I've uh, enjoyed uh, teaching and managed to be uh, in teaching for about 30 years. Wow. Yes. Wow. They, they actually have a grading system for teachers and they put up a list of best teachers and things like that. And I figured in the list often. So that's something that I completely enjoyed doing. Okay. Okay. Let me just get some water. Mm. Did you do what's, special, what's special in his water? Nothing. Do you, do, you <laughs> no, need my, do you need my not so special no, no, water? I want to know whether he slipped vodka into it. Suddenly, energy levels. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I had to take the break. Like, <laughs> let me just get some water, come vodka. And <laughs> ah, that's what you call it. <laughs> water, come vodka. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but how did you move on to teaching though? I mean, again, once you did complete your... Um, once you were done with your courses, mm. I assumed, or did you start teaching in parallel? And at what point did you realize that you wanted mm. to teach? Because I think theater was going on side by side, right? Yeah. Um, see, a person who becomes a doctor has a choice of joining an academic institution or just being completely in practice. So practice was not even, a, as in private practice, mm. was not an option for me. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. At the same time. So if you're practicing in a place like uh, St. John's, you're seeing a large OPD of 200 or 300 patients. And at the same time, uh, see, medical teaching is not that much of classroom teaching. It's more of people sitting with you, working with you and learning from the way you deal with patients. It's imbibing what you're uh, practicing. So um, not only are they learning the subject from you, but they're also learning people's skills. They're learning how to speak to a person, how to deal with grief situations when there's something serious. So all all that is happening at the same time. So it's a small group of students sitting with you usually. That OPD teaching is going on. As you're seeing patients, they are also spending time with you and learning. So I I don't think I had any doubt in my mind that that was my course of life. I mean, I needed to have... Uh, I finished medicine, but I was going to go into academic medicine, as in which involved teaching, working in a medical college and seeing patients at the same time. Mm. Somewhere along the way, because it was allowed, I started a private practice too. And uh, so as a retirement plan, as I was easing off from the medical college, primarily because of the commute on Hosu (laughs) Road, which was taking me an hour and a half to reach and an hour and a half to come back. And I found that was three hours of really valuable time being wasted on the road. So Bangalore traffic uh, drove me to full-time private practice. Drove you. Drove me, yes, literally (laughs) drove me up the wall and drove me to full-time private practice. So after when I finished about 30 years, I said, okay, I've done this bit. I've enjoyed it. And uh, at any time when there's an opportunity to teach, whether it's at a conference or to a junior who's coming to learn from me, I will continue teaching. Mm, But private practice had picked up a lot by then. And also I had a in private practice, you're in charge of your own time. Mm -hmm. So if I want to say at 7.30, I finish for the day and it gives me a chance to do comedy or do theater, I could control the times that I was spending and still be available for patients. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I, I now kind of see that, um, you know, the common thread mm. uh, among all these things that you're doing, which is, I think, go back, we go back to effective communication, mm. right? With just being a doctor, the fact that 
you can sit down and really have a conversation as opposed to you know you're just prescribing something and just getting you know get get them going with whatever mm-hmm. it is right or with you having to express your thoughts as an actor or as mm-hmm. an improv actor too right and even with being a teacher i think it's so important for you to sit down because like you said it's not just what you teach them theoretically but it's also your mannerisms your mm. soft skills that really come into play right true yeah and do you um, i think we we spoke about this too where you um, the patients come to you where they're saying one thing mm. but they're doing some, they're probably you know trying to imply something else right and i think that can only come when you have uh, gotten past a certain point of uh, you know maybe imbibing those conversational skills Yes. right it's only once you realize okay he's saying this or she's saying this but probably this is not where it's spawning from so what have we seen there because i'm sure that is something that you can use in any phase of your life again right? another cliche that is often used in conversation and communication is that everyone says that uh, talking is important but i think the listening part is equally important a lot of times as the patient enters the room even before they finish their first sentence you've started picking up the pen and writing it's like i've seen this so many times it's, i know exactly what's happening if you're not listening if you're not looking at i I've, i've uh, had seniors uh, who don't even look up from the prescription pad so uh, if you're not listening if you're not looking at the patient and seeing the other a uh, non-verbal communication that's happening with you you'll miss out on a lot of the stories that they're trying to tell you especially in my field which is a lot to do with e- the external mm. so you know with the body image problems and things like people coming to you and saying i don't think i look good uh you know i have pigmentation i have some situation on my face or the, it could be something with a teenager with acne but what they're trying to tell you is something totally different i've had uh, I've had situations where someone is saying do something for me you know do a laser do fillers do botox do something to make me look different and the story is actually related to marital disharmony there's there's some domestic crisis going on so no amount of injections or lasers that I'm going to do is going to give me a satisfied patient if I don't recognize that and recognize the fact that you know some amount of counseling either from me or from a trained counselor separately is is it's not going to help the patient because they will spend thousands of rupees and still at the end of 3 months they're still going to be an unhappy person because the domestic problem has not been sorted out so they might be looking much better for any observer mm. but uh, the problem that they came for which is their husband is having an affair with his secretary say <laughs> yeah. uh, is not going to go away right so then uh, unless you've got counseling and telling the person how to deal with that situation either accept it or move out or face the challenge of whatever needs to be done if that is not being sorted out simultaneously and you haven't even uh, haven't even understood that that is the situation because you're so busy writing a prescription you've not listened to the patient completely then you're going to have over a period of time many unhappy patients so mm. especially when you're reading uh, dealing with the body when you're dealing with a uh, look Uh, a lot of times it's reflecting something that's going on inside their mind or inside their body when i say inside their body uh, again i'm referring to internal disease the skin is a mirror of what is going on in your body so many times people ask me about the secret of youth the secret of good hair it cannot be without good lifestyle it cannot be without good exercise without good eating you can't hope to get any of those things simply with a doctor's implement 
So if you're not taking care of a thyroid problem or a hormonal problem for a woman or a man who's, you know, drinking way out of normal limits or, or smoking up all the time, then, you, the, you know, whatever you do in terms of beautifying somebody on the external is not going to reflect in the long run because it's going to go back to wherever it started. Right. So listening, I think, is very important because you'll see the other things that are happening in a person's life. And if you're having a comfortable uh, you know, uh, camaraderie and conversation with the patient, you'll pick up those other signs, which also need dealing with. How do you handle those though? Because these are such, you know, sensitive topics, right? I mean, you never know where, you know, what can of worms this might mm. open up, right? Mm. The moment you have this conversation, let's say you finally, you know, crack the code mm. and then they open up and then you're just like, oh my God, what, what have I just signed up for, right? Mm. How do you handle those situations though? Because at the end of the day, they're coming to you for another reason i mean yes. you are specialized in dermatology right so how do you handle those situations so and have uh, you had instances like that too yes it's, it happens almost every day wow uh, i don't think it's happening only to a dermatologist it's ha it'll be happening to a cardiologist it'll be happening to an endocrine specialist it'll be happening to everybody right. and the unfortunate or fortunate part of it we have to know where to draw the line we have to know that uh, a certain amount of counseling, a certain amount of hand-holding has to happen from the primary doctor. They came to you for a problem. You need to deal with that problem and you also need to recognize and help them to accept that there is another problem. So once they've done that, maybe it takes a smaller amount or they want the counseling from you. They just want to listen to what you have to say. They want a sounding board. I think this is uh, same of a husband-wife relationship. Often when your wife comes to you and tells you about a problem, you as a very motivated husband is solving it. Sometimes they don't want the solution yeah. from you. They just want you to sit for five minutes peacefully and listen mm. to the fact that they have a problem. You don't have to solve the world's problems. The patient is sometimes not coming to you for all the solutions. They just want, will you just listen to me? I'm having a really bad time. I'm paying for this. Just yeah. listen to me, God listen damn it. To me. And then when it's beyond that level and you feel like, okay, this person definitely needs professional counseling, needs help, that is beyond my realm of speciality, then you should have a core team of three or four people you can comfortably refer to and say, you know, it's also good to talk your heart out to somebody professional and there's this doctor, here's the number, just keep it if you feel that you need to. But I'm available to you. Still, you need to be there because you never know. Uh, I've had situations where people have been suicidal about acne or about hair loss. In fact, there's a study from Stanford where I did my fellowship. There's a study where on cancer patients and uh, they looked at suicides in cancer patients, which is, you know, because it's a terminal and serious illness is understandable. But the largest number of suicides in cancer patients was not because of their terminal illness, was not because of the chemotherapy, which was very severe, was not because of the fear of death. It was because of hair loss, if you can believe that. Their, their most horrible thing, as, as far as they were concerned, is having to go out and deal with the society after they'd lost their hair because of chemotherapy. So you'd never know what impacts a patient. And I always tell my students, don't take things lightly. As in, someone's come in with hair loss and like, yeah, what is the problem? Yeah, why is he making such a fuss? You can't do that. He's sitting in front of you saying he has hair loss or he has a pimple on his nose or a little pigmentation. But for him, that is life-threatening. That is really important. It is impacting his quality of life. And nobody has appointed you God and allowed you to dismiss his complaint as being unimportant. Yeah. If he's going with cirrhosis of the liver, or he's going with a hole in the heart to the cardiologist, and he's going with some other problem, appendicitis to the surgeon to have it removed, that problem for him is as important as the problem that he's come to you with. 
In fact, it can be one step more important because uh, you can have cirrhosis of the liver or you can have a cardiac problem and nobody else knows. Hmm. We're sitting here opposite each other, nobody else knows. But if I have a visual problem, if I'm balding significantly, if I've got a large pigmented area on my face, everybody knows. And everybody, including the nosy neighbor, the helpful auntie, the relative who's met you once at a marriage, is always saying, in the morning, what is happening on your face? No, little bit blackish you've become... <laughs> Everyone is commenting on it. Everyone is telling you to put curd and basin. Somebody else has a suggestion with Ayurveda, someone's homeopathy. But nobody's doing that for your cirrhosis of the liver. Nobody's doing it for your heart problem. Nobody's doing it for other problems that you have. But visual problems like the skin and the hair are not only your business, are also unfortunately the business of every society member that you meet during the day. So you can't go in for an interview. You can't go into school or college without everyone telling you, you know, Hey, I don't think you know much. You got one big red pimp. I know. I looked in the mirror today morning. I saw it. I, I own a that. mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I, I put toothpaste on it last night or some other That's nonsense. That's the worst, yeah. right? So they've done all kinds of stunts. They've gone on YouTube and some stupid YouTube blogger has told them, take this nonsense and put it. Put some detergent on <laughs> <Yeah>. your... <laughs> Wash it off and your face is going to look like Surf Excel tomorrow morning. And none of those things work. And those poor people have come back with even redder, you know, like Rudolph's red nose reindeer they've come back there's a pimple and the whole nose is red on top of that so the unfortunate part of dermatology or trichology which is my subspecialty here is the fact that you have a problem and everyone knows you have a problem and everyone else has a solution for your problem so it can have a huge impact on the quality of life so right right absolutely and uh I, I, one thing I want to actually, eventually I'm planning to make videos as well on the yes. same channel, mm -hmm. uh, which is a little different from our podcast series. Uh, but I think one thing I've learned by talking to a lot of people and even studying different lives is that every single thing in life is subjective. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, a problem to you is not the same as how I perceive the problem, mm -hmm. right? Any issue that you might have. And if you think about it, and this is extremely philosophical and very, you know, one, in one of those areas, right? Any single thing in life is subjective, including mm. the laws that are laid out, which eventually become objective and something that you have to follow. Yes. But everything is being laid out subjectively. It is so funny, right? Mm. My, it's my opinion. You agree with my opinion. We have a group, a cabinet that's, uh, you know, agreed with your opinion. So that becomes a law. And mm. then that becomes, you know, a year later, they realize that just doesn't make sense because that crazy guy said something. And, you know, if you think right. about it, lad, right. Right? right? So it's so important for us to... Uh, not go in with your own preconceived notions into a just even a conversation for that matter because you need to be open to understanding what that person's trying to say because like you said even a younger person could be probably wiser than you are or probably are coming from a very different perspective which could add value to any of these things and i think when it comes to problems like what you just mentioned people are coming there because they maybe years together they've been like thinking about one small pimple yes and that's been like you know coming back recurring and they're like and not only your preconceived notions then now when you post a picture on instagram it's the preconceived <laughs> notions of another million people underneath that trolling you so yeah. everyone's like mm, posing yeah. like this and what can i do about my cheeks your cheeks are perfectly okay will you leave them alone i have 18 year olds and 20 year olds coming to know whether they can correct their cheeks and i'm looking at them and say 
you're a very good looking young man why on earth because some picture that they posted on instagram would have got some comments like you're looking like a fat cow or something like that and with that he's constantly looking in the mirror and asking himself am i looking like a fat cow that self doubt which is happening with this entire generation is like tragic almost yeah, you yeah. are fitting into certain uh, you know criteria which the world has set for you um, for want of a better example if you sometimes look uh, if you open up the newspaper and they I don't i don't i'm off news completely <laughs> if they've come up with the contestants for a, for a miss india or something like that and somehow all of them look the, the same, same. <laughs> they've all cut their hair the same way they've got the same kind of lips they've got the same kind of cheeks it's like somebody has prepared them in a certain way yeah. to look a certain way and that is sad because I think you know if you've been in a class in school there were fat people and, and small people and dark people and that's how you remember them like you know the years later you're like this there's this funny person who used to sit in the last row what was his name kind of thing there were all kinds of people and now we're making all people look the same uh, yeah. it happens even in our conferences when we go into these dermatology cosmetology conferences and i'm looking at my colleagues and everyone has done their lips and done something and and are starting to look like a stereotype right so that right. is tragic i wish we would just allow for the diversity that makes the world a wonderful place yeah yeah and i think we spoke about this whole uh, weird thing with uh, anti aging right mm. and uh, how people perceive anti aging like you said corrections i mean you need something the more it's something that i don't even like that term yeah exactly i anti aging sounds like we're against old people <laughs> and they're going to put them in that uh, what is that margdarshak mandal or something like that early in their lives like you know you, okay we're done with you you're retired i don't Please go step out <laughs> yeah enough you're 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 35 god knows who these cutouts that the cutouts that they create suddenly like okay cut offs uh, 30 suddenly someone is like saying like after 30 you're finished yeah. <laughs> and like i finished 30 quite some time ago what am i now a fossil so these these things that we these age cutoffs that we create are really tragic and sad right. and i i think we should embrace the process of aging if you're right. lucky nobody's uh, you're not going to avoid old age so you're going to reach there and uh, hopefully how do you how do you avoid <laughs> but i'm only but we won't, we won't say that i did not say that <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah, that's the only yeah. way you can avoid aging. <laughs> But otherwise, why not age gracefully? Why not age with dignity instead of doing weird things to yourself? I think one of the most tragic things you can see is like a seventy-five, eighty-year-old man uh, clutching desperately onto onto youth with uh, jet black hair and uh, stuff that has been done, or wearing inappropriate clothes, and you're looking at him saying, "Okay, all right, uh, look at him. He's uh, he's still in these Hawaiian shirts and things like that, which is okay. It's a choice you make. Yeah. But when you're desperately, when the rest of you is not matching that." and then you're desperately holding on to youth it looks it starts to look a little so at some stage you have to say okay i'm enjoying the process of aging i can feel the creaking of my joints and i'm going to go with it i'm going to uh, you know become age appropriate that's all that you need to do right and uh, when did you start when did you move into stand up again you said that's probably the most recent thing yes, you've picked yes. up right mm. so how long has it been since that you moved into two or three years that's it mm. Wow, I mean that's crazy talk. People, <laughs> I mean, in their teens itself, or maybe in their twenties too, are quite um, fearful of like stage mm. fright and just what how people might you know perceive, or just maybe they'll know me for who I truly <laughs> am. And then at that point, it's like, oh God, oh no, now it's like really sad, right? I'd then, written a play actually <laughs> uh, called Gentleman, okay. which was a, a four um, monologues. 
So um, in the process of when it was being performed by people like Ashwin Matthew and things like that, the feedback I got was that, you know, each one of these could have been a stand-up act. So basically, I was writing stand-up material for four different actors. So it was a deliciously vulgar play, which talked about issues that men never talk about. Okay. So including things like impotence and things like that. So at the end of that, I realized that, you know, as far as content creation is concerned for a stand-up, the most important thing is the writing. I think whether it's a movie or now you're looking at the OTT series and things like that, the rest of it doesn't matter. Production and all that is important, but it's after you have good content. Right. If you have good content, then uh, three-fourths of your battle is won. So I found that if I could write up material which was being used by other people as, as a monologue and as a theater performance, and it worked and people were laughing and we had houseful shows not only in Bangalore, rerun shows of gentlemen many times. So I said, okay, there is something, I can create the content. So why not create the content for myself? You have a basic concept of what you'd like to say. You have, you know, you're going to touch on these topics. And then, like you said, with crowd work, when you're interacting with people, that changes. You should be able to respond to that, which anyway, as a teacher, you do because you get heckled in class. Somebody says something from one corner of the class and you have to, that funny it's person. You very different type of improv. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to be funnier than the funny, uh, funny ass guy at the back of the, you know, in the back row. So if you've started doing that and you're able to do that kind of improv, then you should be able to do stand up also. Again, like I confess to you, I get really, really nervous before stand-up because you never know what the audience is going to be like. Sometimes there's this very dignified audience which I, whom I think are laughing, but they are of that strata of society who think that it's um, indecent to laugh loudly. So the stand-up comic has no concept of, at all whether his joke has worked or not because they're going, <laughs> really, oh, yeah, so, so very nice. amusing. <laughs> and at the end of it, they'll come and tell you, that was so funny, I enjoyed myself. So, why didn't you laugh? <laughs> because in the, it's in not... In closed room. Yeah, in, 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 you know, in our circles, we don't laugh. We just gently giggle or something like that. <laughs> Like, please laugh. We need you to laugh. Only then we know whether we're funny or not. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. The, so that I think a lot of people don't even try these things because of the fear of the unknown. Right? <laughs> Just like, oh, my God, wh- what's going to happen? Yes. But like you said, what's the worst that can happen? It's scary. It is. <laughs> but see, if you think about it, any important thing that you plan to do in life is scary. It's scary. Because you don't know what's going to happen, right? That's I mean, the excitement. It's, yeah. a, it's the fear. It's also the excitement. It's it's the fear. It's also how you, whether you're going to thrive in mm. that fear, right? Whether while yeah. you're going through that whole journey, like, see, you, you anyone signs up for education. I mean, for let's say, for instance, with medicine, you're signing up for mm. literally for the long haul, right? Yes. And uh, that's, there's fear there too. Mm. Whether you can either pay back the loans or whether I can be a successful doctor. Everyone else is a doctor. What do I do? But I think the moment you start realizing that, you know what, this is my place. This is my space. I need to thrive here. Mm. I can put in the effort. I think that's that's how you get to true, it, right? True, true. It's like trying to learn swimming without ever going into the swimming pool. You're going to have to first go there and put your feet in and get used to the cold and then plunge in somewhere yeah. and start swimming. Hopefully somebody's there, a mentor, somebody like that who will get you through the initial steps teach you the right way to swim and then you're on your own you're yeah, going to have to do yeah. those laps on your own correct right uh yeah but this is this is great stuff and mm-hmm. i'll end up i think one last thing i want to definitely talk about is uh 
and this is just because it's it it holds a very um a special place in my heart which huh? is you you were the character of uh, apukutan nayar back in radio it's a radio i remember radio was a huge thing forget india in bangalore yes because of just how i think english radio yes. for that matter with radio city was such a big thing because all the other cities are trying to do what we were doing yes. and we had such a you know radio is the thing and you know, happening <laughs> we had and a head start on that yeah, yeah. big mm-hmm. time i had people coming down from mumbai from chennai and they used to you know maybe the commute from the airport to here and they'd be like wow this radio is <laughs> crazy i can't be yeah, where is this yeah. co- you know is pulling from true. the states or something true true that's crazy and and i think people like darius i think we spoke about darius sunaina people we have you know listened to right. while growing up and those were the days when you actually listened to the rj you didn't change the radio station saying you know okay now i want another song right. what they were saying was interesting it was an integral part of radio and you wanted you were in love with your rj as much as you were with the music that he was playing right so right. yeah people like darius sunaina vasanthi hari prakash they played a Vasanthi. big role yeah. and uh, you know in making radio so exciting for us So yeah. at that time I was doing sparklers in Radio City. Right. And um, for people who don't know what sparklers are. Yeah, yeah, they're just like comic characters that you create and then you know you've had the pranks done after that. So those are all uh, an evolution of that. So um the character that I was doing was was uh, often elderly uncle called Uncle Apukutan Nair. So he would come on radio and offer unsolicited <laughs> advice which was also tweaked a little bit with Bollywood music so that the RJ could lead into the song or you know connect with the song that was going to be played. Right. So coming back to my famous hair example it used to be things like you know uh, yesterday my friend came in and she was complaining you know that uh, Babida was complaining that she was losing hair doctor I'm losing hair do something otherwise I from you from Kiran Care I will become Anupam Care uh, do something doctor because you know everywhere there is hair in my bathroom drain there is hair in my comb there is hair in my husband chili chicken there is hair everywhere there is hair except on my head so i would do i would add a bollywood song to it and say don't worry um you know bal bal dekho hazar bal dekho that would work into the song that is right. and his um, uh, advice would end with what uh, you know uh, trying to make everything okay for that person and say problem solved always come to apukutan angle they say so simple no <laughs> So he was trying that to make is, everything simple. <laughs> oh my god, that is so crazy! And and for all the viewers and listeners as well, I had no idea that you played that character. And we were we were talking on uh, on a call, and you said, "Yeah, so I did this Apukutan uh, role." I thought and... it must be beyond the uh, time for these people. <laughs> yeah, not anyway. like ten, okay. <laughs> Like what? <laughs> I thought Akash is not going to know about Uncle Apukutan. It's way beyond. Oh <laughs> no, but that was radio was a big boom then, right? And uh-huh. if you remember, I think Radio City was thriving then. Mm. That was probably the only one. Then slowly Mirchi came up, and then you know yes, all the yes. other. Now we have so many radio mm. stations, right? But I think that was crazy. I, I I remember traveling to school, and I think you said the same mm. thing where you know kids would want to you know sit back. Yes, I had wait. mothers complaining to me and saying, you know, I drop my kid outside Bishop Cottons, and he doesn't get out of the car and go until Appu Cotton said his so simple no. <laughs> <laughs> It's like okay, my day has Done. begun. <laughs> oh my god, it is so simple. <laughs> Oh yeah so yeah it's that's about as simple crazy. as uh, or as complicated as we make it finally <laughs> exactly exactly so so actually if you could quickly touch upon that how did mm. things open up in radio i mean when did you decide to just get into radio is it bec- and i think it's through theater itself and because yes. you're part of that community itself right some amount of yeah theater community overlaps into voiceovers when they need for ads things like that also happen so uh, a large part of the theater community was going into were being chosen for radio because their voices were already trained and things like that so in that process i had friends in radio 
and uh, they also knew that I do comedy or I write comedy or perform com comic characters well. So I was called in and uh, auditioned. Initially, it was also for to see whether I could take in a slot. But unfortunately, the time would not allow me. So this comes back to that conflict uh, resolution which you talk about. You have to decide whether you want to primarily be a doctor or not. Mm. So if I was doing something like a morning uh, show or something like that, I would need to spend large amounts of time in the studio because you're a full-time employee. So that I couldn't do. Whereas with a sparkler or a comic character, I just needed to go in three times a week or two times a week and record what was needed for the entire week, which was comfortable. So I could indulge in my passion, enjoy myself creating a comic character, creating content for that comic character every week, mm. linking it up with Bollywood, which is something that I enjoy. I enjoy song, Hindi music song, Malayalam movie um, music song. So I worked that in. And then I have an entire family of uh, Malayali characters to draw from to uh, yeah. create the content. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. So that was easy in terms of, you know, I just needed to remember my Achayan or my somebody who spoke exactly like that or did something like that. So he was based in Malaysian, this Apukutan character. So it, it was a Malayali character in Bangalore. So radio came in like that and I enjoyed the entire journey of radio. It's only when radio, the Radio City office moved to Banargatta Road. Again, the commute <laughs> kept me from, you know, continuing with that. Otherwise, the journey with radio has been fun and I'd love to do work with radio anytime I get a chance. Nice. That's awesome. I think this is a good place for us to wrap things up. And um, I think we spoke about a lot of things and there's more I wanted to actually <laughs> talk about. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely have you here again. And, you know, we like you said, I think we, we laughed about it last night, which is I think we'll. I'll have to stop you from. Yes, speaking. yes, yes. I told you I'm a VIAD for want. For those who don't know what a VIAD is, a person who does not know when to stop talking. And I have to quote my wife here, who's my great support system, uh, because I I have a problem with putting on weight and talking too much or inappropriately saying the wrong things. I haven't said anything wrong. Uh, uh, we'll know soon in the comments. <laughs> yeah, she. She keeps telling me, uh, you know, if you only keep your mouth shut, you will solve two of the major problems in your life. One is putting on weight and the other is getting into trouble because of what you said. So <laughs> on that note, zip. <laughs> uh, no, but we need you to say one last thing, which Tell is um, uh, something we ask of all our guests, mm -hmm. which is what would your billboard message be or something that, you know, uh, that you maybe have already spoken about on the show, but you might want to talk a little more about or uh, one message for all our viewers and listeners. Mm, uh, I think I'll reiterate the fact that you have only one life to live and please live it. Don't wait for any parallel life to happen. So do everything that you want to do right now. Right. Get going. Yes. Yeah, perfect. And uh, if people had to find you online, where can we send them? Um Online, uh, they, there is a there is a clinic website if you're looking for me professionally. Otherwise, uh, I'm on Insta, uh, Doc Anilab. I'm also on Facebook. Is Doc Anilab? I'll link all of that in the Done. description and show notes below. But Anil, thank you so much. Thank you. This was a big, big. I'm I'm glad that we could make this happen, and I think we've been in talks for a bit now. Yes. But it's great that you finally got here. And like as I tell all my guests, and I honestly truly mean it. And I think you. You live nearby now. We have yes, motor studio, yes, yes, right? Yes. We'll have you here again and we'll talk Done. about a lot more. This things. has been fun. Thank yeah. you so much for having me over. Yeah, thanks, Anil. <laughs> Hit that like button if you found this conversation with Anil useful and interesting. It really helps with the algorithm. If you are listening to this over audio though, then I would highly, highly appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way in spreading the word and getting the show out there. So, what are your thoughts on Anil's episode? Let me know in the comments below. Isn't he just a swell guy? 
I remember mentioning uh, this to one of my good friends uh, about uh, someone else actually that he's a swell guy and uh, this friend of mine ridiculed me for uh, calling this guy uh, swell or using the word swell and he ridiculed me for being about 40 50 years old so what are your thoughts on the word swell as well i'd like to know that too in the comments below next episode is a hilarious super power packed one and i can't wait for you guys to experience it but yeah until then ciao